You may be seated. Open your Bibles in the book of Romans. And this morning we're going to continue our series in evangelism, particularly as it pertains to the meaning of the gospel. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And this is Paul's introduction to the book of Romans, and in it he gives us a framework to understand what the gospel is. We begin in verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness or according to the Holy Spirit by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ our Lord through whom we have received grace and apostleship to, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are the call to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and are called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we're going to talk about the content of the gospel. But as a way of introduction, let me remind you of what we discussed last week. In this introduction, Paul gives us four important elements about the gospel. He gives us the source of the gospel, which is God. The content of the gospel, which is Jesus. The purpose of the gospel, which is to bring about obedience and faith. And he also gives us the objects of the gospel, which are the called, which are God's elect among all the nations of the earth. So what is Paul saying in these first seven verses? He is saying that this is the gospel of God concerning his son to bring about obedience in God's elect among all the nations. So in gospel proclamation, we must begin with God because God is the source of this gospel. And we must point people to Christ because Christ is the content of the gospel. And we must command everyone to repent and believe and place their faith in Jesus Christ because that is the purpose of the gospel but as it relates to our expectations we should know that only God's people will respond in faith and in obedience so last week we looked at the source of the gospel and we said that that God the Father is the designer of the gospel I mean he is the originator of this Gospel. He is the architect of this gospel. This is not a man's message, but this is God's message. If God is the source of the gospel, then the next logical question should be, why is there a gospel? Why do we need good news? That should be our starting point, yet that's where most people go wrong. For when they are proclaiming the gospel, they begin with men. 
their point of departure is men. They start with man's worth and man's needs, positioning him at the center of the universe. They describe man as an invaluable being for whom God would do the impossible and the unthinkable to rescue. And brothers and sisters, if you began the gospel proclamation with men, everything else will go wrong. We must begin with God. Listen to the words of a pastor. He says, it is God who stands at the very center of the universe, not men. It is God alone who has inherent and infinite value. Man, on the other side, is an outlaw in this universe. Man, by nature, is a rebellious God-hater who has declared war on his sovereign. A traitor who desires the throne of his king. A creature who longs for the glory of his creator. An instrument created for praise who seeks to be worshipped in the place of God. The true gospel does not begin with man's worth or with God's plan for his life. But the gospel proclamation must begin with a declaration of God's worth. And his concern for his own glory. Brothers and sisters, gospel proclamation should not begin with for God so loved the world. Gospel proclamation must begin with in the beginning God. We start with God. Why do we need good news? Because the infinite, holy, majestic, good God created us for His glory. And instead of us giving Him glory, we stole that glory. Why do we need the good news? Because we sin against Him. Why do we need good news? As Paul puts it in Romans 1. Because we exchange the glory of the Creator for self-glory. That's why we need good news. Because the indictment upon humanity is severe. That's why we need good news. Listen to this, brothers and sisters. Because God is a holy God and because God is a just God, He must punish those who transgress His law. That's why we need good news. We need good news because man is in enmity with God. Unless we think that our loving God will never punish sinners. The Bible says in Exodus 34 that he will not clear the guilty. That's why we need good news. Amen? We need good news because we are, apart from Christ, in a severe predicament. Which leads us to two important questions. How could a holy God... Be reconciled to sinful men. And how could God-haters, rebellious sinners, escape the wrath and the judgment to come? Like I said last week, through God's terms of peace. And God's terms of peace is the gospel. Which takes us to the content of the gospel. I want to direct your attention to verse 3. Because he begins with... This is the gospel of God. And then he continues. Concerning his son. Who was descended from David. According to the flesh. And was declared to be the son of God. In power. According to the Holy Spirit. By his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is the good news. 
The gospel is about his son. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is a person. And through his son, God is going to glorify himself in the salvation of a specific people. He doesn't have to save everyone, right? He doesn't have to save anyone. But through Jesus Christ, he is going to save a specific people. And in that, he is going to glorify himself. Because at the end of the day, everything that God does is for his own glory. If salvation depends on you, who gets the glory? So in this passage, there are three things that I want you to see about the content of the gospel. Paul gives us three important things about Jesus. Who he is, what he became, and what he accomplished. Let's begin with who he is. He says that this gospel is the gospel of God concerning his son. Paul calls Jesus the son of God. Which means, this is important, that he was before he became. Jesus was before he became. In the book of John chapter 1 verse 1. The apostle John says. In the beginning was Jesus. And Jesus was with God. And Jesus was God. Jesus is co-eternal. Co-existent with the father. He did not come to be in the new testament. He was never created. He has always existed. Which means. Which means that he was present and active in the Old Testament. And this is very important because many people believe that Jesus was an altogether different deity from the God of the Old Testament. Or they will say that Jesus was nicer than the God of the Old Testament. But nothing could be further from the truth. It was Jesus who talked to Abraham about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Jesus who destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. It was Jesus who delivered the people out of Egypt. It was Jesus whom Isaiah saw high and lifted up. This means that Jesus upheld the same ethical and moral and judicial position as the Father. When God the Father said this is wrong, Jesus was in perfect agreement. When God the Father said this is how things ought to be done, Jesus was in perfect agreement. Who is this Jesus? He is the eternal God. He was, he is, and will always be God. The second thing that he gives us in this passage is what he became. The eternal God became man. Romans 1.3 continues. Who was descended from David according to the flesh. The NASB has a better rendering of this passage. It says concerning his son who was born. Who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. This Jesus who has always existed, was never created, entered into the human race at the exact time God the Father had decreed. Galatians 4.4 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, you see, not one minute early, not one minute late, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. He was born as a descendant of David, and in doing so, He took the form of a human being. 
And this passage also says that he was born under the law. And in doing so, he submitted to the demands of God. Philippians 2 verses 5 to 8 says, Christ Jesus, who although was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. This is so important. This is the incarnation. When Jesus was born, he was fully God and he was fully man. He was not half God, half man. He was fully God and he was fully man. He is and he was the eternal God. At the moment of the incarnation, he became the God-man. Two natures, one person. So we have already discussed who he is and what he became. The question is, why? Or what did he accomplish? This is important. Jesus needed to be fully God and fully man in order for him to be a perfect mediator. And what is a mediator? A person who attempts to make people involved in a conflict come to an agreement, a go-between person. What is the function of a mediator? The function of a mediator is to intervene between two parties in order to promote relations between them, listen to this, which the parties themselves are not able to effect. From our side, we cannot go up to God. We are alienated from God. We are enemies of God. We are incapable of coming to Him. From God's side, the right thing for Him to do is to destroy us. His justice would drive Him to extinguish us. That's what it means to be a just God. So from our side, we cannot go to God. From His side, He will destroy us. So the mediator steps in to bring about the necessary reconciliation, peace, and resurrection. But the mediator must be equally to both sides in order to mediate impartially. He needs to be fully God in order to represent God to us on his behalf. And he needs to be fully man in order to represent us to God. Amen? He needs to be fully God in order to represent God to us. He needs to be fully man in order to be a representative of human beings. So this Jesus became what we were created to be in order to do what we were supposed to do. You see, he became a human in order to be obedient to the Father. And in doing so, glorify God. He came into this world and lived the perfect life that we could not live. He obeyed the law. He lived a sinless life. He loved the Father by his obedience to the Father. And in doing so, he glorified God. The very thing we failed to do. And he died the death that we should have died. He was crushed by the Father in order to satisfy his wrath. In order to satisfy his justice. So Jesus became a sin bearer. Jesus became our representative. Our sins to him. 
He paid the price in our place. In a beautiful display of his power and sovereignty. Jesus, on one hand, grabbed the divine. On the other hand, he grabbed the sinful humanity. And he reconciled them both through his blood. That's what the atonement is. And that's what Jesus did on that cross. Jesus came down to us so that we could go up to the Father. He became one of us in order to be, for us to become sons of God. He was born of a human being so that we might be born of the Spirit. So this is why in that glorious cross he said, It is finished. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live. He obeyed the Father. He obeyed the law. He went to the cross. And on that cross, our sins were imputed to him. And the Father crushed him for the sake of his people. The cross was not a symbol of our worth. I'm going to repeat that again because you need to understand this. So when you, when you hear this in songs, you just don't buy it. The cross was not a, a symbol of our worth. The cross was a symbol of our wickedness. Because that's what we were supposed to be. Amen? On that cross, the Father crushed Him instead of crushing us. So the cross is a symbol of our wickedness. And at the same time, the cross was a symbol of God's love for His people. Jesus on that cross accomplished redemption. He didn't try to accomplish redemption. He accomplished redemption. He didn't attempt to accomplish redemption, but he accomplished redemption. On the cross, Jesus didn't make salvation possible. On that cross, Jesus made salvation a reality. You see the difference? Jesus didn't go to the cross to die for as many people as he could. He went to the cross to die for his people. Therefore, the atonement is a reality. And the effectiveness of the atonement is also a reality. Jesus died for every single person that he intended to die for. But this mediator could not have completed his work in the grave. If he would have stayed in the grave, no victory over sin could have been accomplished. And this is why Paul continues. He, de he was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Holy Spirit by His resurrection from the dead. On that third day, that stone began to move, the earth began to shake, and that resurrected King came out of that grave victorious. That was the declaration of His victory over sin. This was not an accidental event, but the resurrection was the very fulfillment of that promise that he made to Satan in Genesis 3.15. When he said, my son, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 38, the people were asking him for signs. And, and Jesus responded, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, 
but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Huh. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Not only did God proclaim the gospel in Genesis 3.15, but, but the resurrection from the dead was proclaimed throughout the whole Old Testament. The resurrection of the mediator is what validated the transaction. And this is why Paul continues in Philippians 2, 5, 11. Therefore, you see prior to that, therefore, Paul is talking about Jesus' obedience, the emptying of himself, the taking of a human form, the, 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 the submission to the demands of the law. Therefore, because of that, he died on the cross, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Therefore, therefore, God has highly exalted him. And has bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. In heaven, on earth, and under earth. We're talking about angelic beings in heaven. Human beings on earth. Satan and his demons. And all the lost. Who have rejected the gospel. Every single human being will bow. And every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And in fact that's how Paul. Closes this section of the content of the gospel. In Romans 1. When he says, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul says that God the Father gave him a name that is above every other name. Why is this important? Because it is through the confession of the belief in and the surrender to that name that people might be saved. What is in the name of Jesus? His name is Jesus, which means God saves. His name is Christ, which, which means God's anointed one. And his name is also Lord, which means the sovereign God. And this is why Peter said in Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be Saved. But brothers and sisters, whatever Jesus accomplished on that cross and through the resurrection was not for your glory, but was for the Father's glory. He closes that Philippians 2 Christological hymn with this. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. What Jesus did on that cross was for the glory of the Father. We evangelize not to just save people. We evangelize for God's glory. We proclaim the gospel for God's glory. 
because God the Father is glorifying himself through the salvation of a specific people. Everything that we do is for God's glory and even Jesus knew that. In John 17, listen to what he says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he's speaking to the Father. He lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Listen to this. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you are the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He closes with this. I glorified you on earth. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Amen? Because the Father is the source of the gospel. Jesus is the content of the gospel. Jesus did whatever he did for the Father's glory. The gospel is God's terms of peace. The gospel is God's means of satisfying his justice. The gospel is God's means of reconciliation. But if I were to summarize the content of the gospel, I would put it this way. What is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus in your place. The gospel is Jesus in my place. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we deserve. And in doing so, the greatest exchange took place. Our sins to him, his righteousness to us. Uh, as we understand how to proclaim the gospel, where should we start? We start with God. Why were we created? We were created for His glory. What did we do? We stole that glory. What do we deserve? His wrath. How could a holy God be reconciled to sinful men? How could sinful men escape the wrath to come? The gospel. Amen. The gospel then becomes good news. The one who has always existed stepped into our mess to function as our mediator. As a mediator, he needed to possess the fullness of the offended and the fullness of the offender. He lived the perfect life that we couldn't live, thus glorifying the Father, in order to die the death that we deserve, thus satisfying his justice. On that cross, through the shedding of blood, he brought about reconciliation between the two. Through his resurrection, the Father validated the transaction. And God has bestowed on him a name that is above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is the Lord. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? This leads us to an important step in the process. What do we do with this gospel? Do we share it? Do we whisper it? Do we 
proclaim it? Are we to invite people to accept Jesus into their hearts? Or are we commanded to command everyone to repent? We'll discuss that next week. Let's pray.